So Paul has uh, given us uh, many principles of grace uh, through the story of Abraham, and now he actually goes into the story itself. Well, a summary of the story, and uh, I will do a summary of the story too, because it is so very, very uh, revealing. Have you uh, read uh, the book of uh, Genesis lately, the story of Abraham? It's in chapter 12 onwards. Uh, It is a remarkable account of uh, God's confrontation of a human being and a human being's confrontation with God in those ancient days. And what is this confrontation? It's not a confrontation of judgment. God coming to the to Abraham and and warning him of destruction it is God coming with a promise and the promise is gifted to Abraham by the faith that God gives Abraham as well so that it may be sure and uh, secure to all uh, the followers of Abraham who put faith in God in the same way So Paul summarizes it like this. This is in chapter 4 of Romans, and he says in verse 17, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now, why does Paul say all that? Well, go back to the story. It's just fascinating. I really encourage you to read it for yourself. As I say, beginning roughly in Romans tw- uh, G- uh, G- um, Genesis chapter 12. And God promises Abraham a child. He says, get out of your country, go to uh, Canaan, and I will make a great nation of you. Go to a land which I will show you of, and I will make a great nation of you through your seed. Well, this is astonishing to Abraham because the man is 75 years old, and his wife is 65, Sarai, and she has been barren all her life. Now, think of that in that uh, patriarchal age. Here's a man who has given up hope in having children. And it's a rather embarrassing thing for a patriarch to give that hope up. Who's going to inherit all his wealth? Abraham was exceedingly wealthy. He had a household of 318 trained men, trained for war, and that must have mean, meant that he had at least another hundred or so to take care of the household while they were uh, out in the field. So we have maybe about 500 men and women in Abraham's household. He was a financier, he was a governor, he was able to uh, take charge of his household, he was a planner, and a very compassionate and fair man. So here is Abraham with seemingly everything, except the one thing he most desperately needed. He couldn't produce a child. More accurately, his wife couldn't produce a child. How this promise came to Abraham, Abraham, I would love to know. (laughs) Uh, Did he have a dream? Did he have a vision in the day? Did he see God visually? Uh, Did he um, go into a trance and hear God speaking into his mind? We don't know. We'll learn all about that in heaven, I'm sure. 
But what was an incredibly strong conviction was that Abraham, after all these years of his wife's barrenness, Abraham was going to have a son. Now, can you imagine what he would do about that? Do you think he would just say, oh, very nice, and uh, be passively uh, uh, pleased? Or would he get into action? Well, I'm sure he would get into action. Abraham probably told his wife, well, certainly told his wife. She would be a little bit doubtful about it. I presume she was a bit later in any way. Uh, but uh, they would make uh, occasions for pleasant evenings of lovemaking. Uh, the uh, uh, the servants would be probably told to go off and uh, uh, have an evening off, and uh, the quiet music was put on and special um, uh, food for the evening, and evening, and uh, Abraham makes love to his wife. And they expect, within a reasonable amount of time, for a child to... Uh, for his wife to become pregnant. Maybe three months? What about that? Maybe six months? Perhaps a year. No, maybe two. Three, perhaps? Five? Seven? Ten? Fifteen? Twenty? Twenty-two? Twenty-three? Twenty-four years, and there has been no child born. Now, <laughs> I'm not sure how you would feel after a promise given so graphically to you, with so much certainty to it, how you would feel after twenty-four years not yet receiving that promise. You and I know with uh, hindsight uh, God's perception of time or how God views time and how we view time, and it's very, very different. A thousand years is like a day to God, and one day is like a thousand years. But can you imagine the turmoil in Abraham's mind? One aspect of that turmoil would be he's running out of time, for goodness sake. He's 90, he was 75 years old when he got the promise. Well, maybe he thought there was life in the old dog yet, but at the age of 85, what do you think he would feel? And then 90, and then 95. It was certainly a, a, an experience of stress from one time to another. I don't think this was smooth sailing for Abraham, not by a long shot. At this, uh, on occasions, I would imagine that Abraham felt quite confident, very, very pleased with God's promise, sure that it would take place. But then would come the periods of doubt, of darkness. Have I been fooling myself? Was that a delusion and not really the promise of God? Have I been uh, too proud and have, having had uh, delusions of grandeur, thinking that this could happen? being confident in my own flesh? Was Abraham tempted? Well, absolutely. If you read the story very carefully, you will see temptation coming to Abraham on a regular basis. 
I mean, one of the first things, for instance, was that uh, as, as soon as he got to Canaan, there were warlike tribes up, occupying the land. What a temptation it would be to think, how in the world am I going to possess this land with all these warring Canaanites all around? And then there was a famine in the land, so great a famine that Abraham, in a severe period of doubt, no doubt, had to leave Canaan and go down to Egypt. So the promised land was not much of a promise. It wasn't all bright and wonderful, although parts of it were. That's why Lot went off and on his, in his own uh, chosen direction when, God, when Abraham gave him the choice. But certainly there was a lot of trouble in that land. And then when he gets to Egypt, he's scared that the Egyptians are going to kill him and take his very, very beautiful wife into Pharaoh's court because she was an outstanding woman. And so he told her, asked her if she would mind sort of a little white lie and say, uh, said to her, would you mind uh, describing yourself as my sister, not my wife? Then they won't kill me to get you. Well, it, still, it didn't work because the, uh, uh, she was still carted off uh, once the courtiers of uh, Pharaoh's palace saw her and uh, she was taken into the palace. What do you think Abraham would have felt that his wife was virtually kidnapped by the, uh, the courtiers of the palace? He, he must have thought he's really put his foot in it. And worse, then came a plague on the palace and the uh, pharaoh called in Abraham and said, what have you been doing telling me that she's your sister? I could have had relations with her and sinned against God. So here is this pagan pharaoh teaching Abraham a thing or two who was supposed to be this honorable man of God. He was so embarrassed. He was, courted out, he was escorted out of the land and told never to return. And he went back to Bethel, I think it was, where he first heard the uh, message of God and, and uh, had to humble himself before God again to affirm the promise. Do you see what Abraham was going through? Such turmoil. And then his wife doubted this whole affair and, and suggested that uh, Abraham had uh, have uh, intercourse with, his, uh, with her maidservant. Well, that appealed to him a little bit, so he thought, okay, and so she, he arranged with the maidservant, and they had sexual intercourse, and would you believe it, they had a child. Can you see the temptations of faith? Faith never exists in calmness. Faith exists in turmoil. And what is so interesting about this story is that God never rebukes Abraham's unbelief. He never rebukes Abraham's tottering faith. Because, you see, God is the giver of that faith. Every time Abraham doubts, God comes to him in a new vision or a dream, whatever it was, or a personal visit, and assures him. And he says to him, you see this land, well, particularly God comes to Abraham when uh, Lot and Abraham had found uh, not enough room in the land of Canaan because they just had masses of households. And so um, Abraham invites Lot to go where he wants. Lot 
sees the luscious land towards the west, towards Jordan, and he says, yes, I'll go there. And so he goes in that direction, and is left. And Abraham is left with the, uh, the the lesser quality of land. And at that very time, when Abraham's generosity towards Lot is being uh, exhibited, God comes to Abraham and says, "Abraham, lift up your eyes, look to the north, west, south, and and uh, every direction." And walk wherever you want, for this land is yours. And take some dust from the ground into your hand and let it fall through your fingers, because as the dust of the earth shows, so shall your descendants be. Why does God come to him at that time? Because Abraham was probably wondering, well, I've given half this land to Lot and he's taken the best part. How can this be a fulfillment of the promise that I will inherit the land? And God comes to him with this promise. Now, this is only a quarter of the story. It is just fascinating to read it because you, want, you need to observe how many times God shores up Abraham's faith when it seems to be tottering off its pedestal. That is the goodness and the richness of God. And if you are wondering whether Jesus is your Savior still, just tell God, and he'll be sure to turn up and strengthen your faith. Thanks for listening today, everyone. Colin Cook here, and how it happens. You're listening to this broadcast of mine on KLTT AM 670 in the Denver and Colorado and surrounding states areas. You can also hear it, uh, well, that's at 10 o'clock in the evening, by the way, repeated at 4 in the morning. But you can also hear it on your smartphone. Simply download a free app, soundcloud.com or podbean.com, and key in how it happens with Colin Cook when you get there. Please consider a donation, would you? It would help this, this listener-supported radio now in its 26th year of broadcasting. So send your donation to FaithQuest. P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado, 80160, or online at faithquestradio.com. Thanks so much. See you next time. Cheerio and God bless.